Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I am your host. Here on The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses, how you can build businesses and wealth that would outlive the founders and have sustained impact, not only over time, but also over space. And we invite guests from all over the world both business owners on their legacy journey, as well as expert teachers to share a tip or two in an environment of authenticity, curiosity and vulnerability. This week, I was joined by Michael Scherer, who is just, oh my goodness, just um, a powerhouse and a well of wisdom. I love that duality. It was just an impeccable conversation we had. He wears multiple hats as an entrepreneur, advisor, investor, father and husband. He has lots of experience with business value creation and value-add real estate. He strategizes and consults um, folks on mergers and acquisitions and post-acquisition integration specifically. Michael is just so wise. We had a conversation around like his entrepreneurial evolution but also around transition generally. Um, how do you let go? Um, adaptability. How do you discover what's next for you? How do you discover what's important to you? Um, I found it just an absolute fascinating conversation, one that I know for sure it will be on repeat for me, definitely. So definitely recommend that you listen in. Thank you. Hi, Michael. It's awesome to have you on The Connected Generation. Good morning, Nikkei. It's nice to see you too. Yes. So you're an entrepreneur, advisor, investor. You wear multiple hats. But before we unpack what you do, I'd love to learn more about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, let me say thank you for having me on your show this morning. It's uh, it's terrific. Uh, we had a nice conversation a few weeks ago and uh, love to be back here with you. Um, it, people ask me, how do you get from, you know, from A to Z or, or, you know, how, what was your path, your journey? And it's interesting. I started off, uh, as a, as a child, absolutely in love with automobiles and growing up in Detroit, it was just sort of natural that I would fall into the automotive business. And now I look back and, and I literally haven't done much in automotive over the last several years. Um, I am in investing in real estate, investing in entrepreneurial efforts, uh, helping young entrepreneurs mm. to get businesses started, uh, helping companies to think about, you know, where they go next gen. And all of this really stems, I think, from mm. my desire to, to grow, to help not only businesses grow, but people and, and helping people to think about how do I get to that next level of evolution for myself? So it's a lot of it's a lot of you know what I have done, but it's also a lot of introspective over the last three four years that helps me to be more beneficial to the people that I'm serving. Oh, I love that on that last line on the importance of the introspection that's helped you on the outside with the doing. Can you unpack that a bit more? Like what was what was your journey with your inner journey, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, um, this is probably three, four years back. A very dear friend of mine, Ashish Kotari, who just launched his book a couple of weeks ago, uh, he started to introduce me to a couple of concepts that he had fallen into probably a year ahead of me. 
And I, uh, I read a book by Sadhguru called Inner Engineering, and it was literally life-changing. The, the, the concepts in the book had me thinking about things differently. And if I go back to about mm. 2018, I had an opportunity to step back from life a little bit. I spent time with my family. There were some milestones for my wife and myself and my daughter. Um, we took some time off, spent some, some time over the summer just doing family things that I wasn't so focused on the business. And when I came back to work, I had this epiphany that it wasn't about me creating work, driving revenue for me. It was about enabling mm. others, helping other people around me. I remember my wife said, why don't you just go do that next project? You could handle it on your own, I'm sure. And I said, I could, but I could also get two or three people employed part-time. And that might lead to something else. And the next thing you know, we're staring at multi-million dollar contracts. And I'm feeling good about the prospect of helping, you know, a dozen or more people to have continual work. That's satisfying. I can focus right. on doing the things that I enjoy, which is more of the strategic, longer-term planning, helping people kind of think across multiple dimensions. And it was it was a turning point for me. So a little bit of, you know, mm. that the, the inner engineering working in, in getting grounded in in my my health and spirituality and bringing all of those things together. I can't tell you that I did it on my own, right? I mean, for, right. for, for better or for worse, you know, there are other forces out there in the world that are kind of pushing us in a certain direction. But it, it literally came together over that period of time, 2018 That's, going to 2019. Mm, this is fascinating to me because I'm usually working with next-gen leaders that are taking over from their parents and they're mm -hmm. saying my parents are having a really difficult time in letting go. And it seems like there's a, a parallel between them and you, but it seems like what helped you with kind of letting go was this inner engineering, like you said, and finding that bigger purpose. Um, mm -hmm. And that was for you, how do you empower other people and finding meaning and finding something that was captivating in that season of your life. And that was for you focusing on the strategic business planning and so on and so forth. Really yeah, I think I, I think you hit it right there. It's finding the purpose. We all have we all have a purpose. Right. You know, a lot of times what we end up with, and, and you know, I, I'm I'm fifty something years old at this point, so I see people who are a few years younger than I am. You know, 10, 15 years older than I am, sort of in this in this phase in their life where they have skills and they've honed those skills and they become really good at what they do. And they're making a lot of money mm. and they're successful and the kid's college fund is paid for and they've got, you know, a second house and a second boat. And I mean, there's nothing they, they don't have, right? They can always have another, but they have everything right. that they want at this point. But they're so unsatisfied with where they are in life. And especially, so my daughter just went off to college this fall and that transition was challenging. It's our only child, right? So now she's out of the house. And mm. to have that void as I walk down the hall and see her door open and know she's not there, it, it, it has an impact, right? And, and so there's an emotional component that you have to go through in that. And I think that people, as they, as they, you know, they go through this transition in life, they start to realize it's not about the money. There's something else in front of me. Also, when you're sitting there at, you know, 50 or 60 years old, I mean, with 
the way that people are living today, I just read in the paper about somebody who was 102 years old. There's a long life right. ahead of us beyond this, right. you know, where we are today with our businesses. Um, I'm working with a few uh, founders, owners, second, third gen, even owners who are in their 50s, 60s. And they're saying, well, by the time I hit 65, by the time I hit 67, by the, you know, and I'm thinking, why would you stop doing it if you love what you're doing? One, but secondly, what do you really right. love doing? And I and I will right. challenge people to think about when you leave this planet, what do you want your legacy to be? It's not about mm. maybe it is right, but but it, usually it's not about you know. Well, Granddad had the largest boat on the street, right? It's no, you know, it's right. something bigger than that. You know, it's, you know, for me, I want to be able to transform a neighborhood to make it all inclusive and inviting in a place where people want to live and grow and retire. And, it, and it's the, the community, right, where you would never want to leave because it's just that great of a neighborhood. And I think we have that opportunity. So what that's what drives me to get more and more involved in real estate. What drives other people? What drives, you know, clients? And they often don't know. And if you look at some of the studies that have been done, it says the largest driver of dissatisfaction when somebody sells their business or steps out of their business is the fact that they didn't know what they're going to do next. Right. And it's just like people who are going to retirement. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to keep yourself busy with? So, so apt. What do you really love doing? Like, take the time to focus on that. I want to touch on something you said earlier that you're passionate about, and that's helping people grow, helping next-gen leaders. And can you talk more about that? Sure. Yeah. It, again, it comes back to understanding not only what am I good at doing, what am I passionate about doing, but what does the world need? And how do I fit into that? I see a lot of entrepreneurs who just go out there and they run, 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 run. They're really good at something. And it's, it's almost, you can almost like predict what's going to happen 20, 30 years out at the end of the day, if they don't get this, this sort of, you know, resolution about what it is they're going to do, what's the purpose, right? It, it starts even early. And I've seen young entrepreneurs go so hard and spend so much time and effort and they, they lose themselves in the work that, you know, they may even lose friends and family members as a result. But they right. get to that point where, okay, now I've made it. Now the company is X. Now the company has hit the milestones. Now I'm making so much money or I sold the company. 30-something years old, they sold the business. Now what? It's the same thing as if you were right. 60 years old and, and thinking about exiting the business. At some point, there's a change. And it's, it's, I, I'm a firm believer in having milestones and driving toward goals and objectives and having a plan to get there. But once you're there, what's the next step? I didn't have a next step. I had a 10-year plan and I hit that 10-year plan almost exactly to the date. But after that, wow. after that, I that saw like? What was like? Hmm. Oh yeah, no, this was actually pretty cool. Um, I, was, uh, I, was, I was doing a project, I was living in Italy for a few years and uh, decided at some point that I needed to learn more about business. And the way to get there was to do my MBA. So I focused on a handful of schools, chose to go to Chicago Booth. It was the school that really resonated with me. And, and as I was thinking about 
what that experience would be like and what it would be like to have those you know, the skills and, and knowledge afterward, where that was going to push me. And all of my um, all of the the uh, the, the entry um, you know uh, papers that you write for, for you know what you know why do you want to go to school here and what is it that you want to do and what will you do later in life everything was leading toward within ten years I wanted to have my own consulting firm whether it was you know mine or something with a group of friends or it, I didn't define it I just said in ten years I want to have my own consulting firm and I started business school. And 10 years later, I had my own consulting firm. And I ran that consulting firm for another another 10 years. Mm. (laughs) And somewhere in there, I said, okay, check that box. This is, this has been satisfying, but now there's something else. What do I want to do next? And I said, I want to be the CEO of a company. And Mm. it literally fell in my lap to take on a company on an interim basis, a CEO to turn around the organization and help them to prepare either for an investment or for sale. They eventually sold the business. And then again, what am I going to do next? And then we got to, you know, 2018, Mm -hmm. I told you that story, but I think if I, if I could have gone back knowing what I know now, that there would be these inflection points, I, I would have thought long, long term, what do I want my legacy to be? Or maybe when you're 30 years old, you're not thinking about that. But maybe you are. Who knows? Yeah. But if you have a picture and you you can tune into those things that you're truly passionate about and match that to the skills mm-hmm. that you have, it puts you on a direction, in a direction. You're on a path already. You can choose, you know, mm-hmm. how I go down this path. And it's not exactly a straight line. But I think the more focus we have on what the end looks like, the easier it is for us to achieve what we want. And oftentimes we just find that going down that path, there are so many things we didn't even know about that get presented to us. And it's easier to say yes, when you're on the right path, mm-hmm. when you distract yourself with all the other stuff, then you got to kind of, you know, peel that away before you can get back on the path. But that's a probably another podcast. <laughs> I'm curious about a couple of things. I wonder if you hadn't achieved what was on your 10 year plan, what we'd be saying now, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's one. And two, um, I'm curious about this tension between having a plan and being future oriented and being present. And how do you juggle the tension between those two? Awesome. Awesome. My high school counselor told me that the best job for me would be to be a counselor. I thought he was nuts. Mm. I'm not going to be a counselor. I'm going to be an. I mean, I knew in high school I wanted to be an engineer. I knew, I knew at an early age what I wanted right. to do, but it was based on what I was good at. There was some passion in there, and and I knew that I could make money being an engineer. So I knew I'd have a good career, stable, doing something that I enjoyed. Honestly, the more I got into it, the more I realized there was more than just that. So it was as things open up. If you are, if you are open to new ideas and concepts and you constantly, and I'm not saying that I did this consciously, right? There's, there's no way that I could have, this is easy for me to look back on and say, oh, this happened and that happened, right? And it kind of falls into these different categories and whatever. But at the time it was more about, hmm, this is kind of interesting. This is a a new opportunity. Oh, hey, the, the company wants us to go to Italy. 
hey, that sounds pretty cool. Let's go pack up and move to Italy for a couple of years. What's that going to be like? I don't know. But now I speak Italian and some of my best friends are in Italy and we go back and visit. So who knows where life takes you, but the more open you can be to those opportunities, the more Mm. opportunities come to you that I think fit with what your goals are. So Mm. I don't know if that quite answers it, but you had a second question in there too, which, um, yeah, about the tension between planning and being present. Like how do you personally navigate that? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, so first of all, you know, there's, there's no, sense in dwelling in the past or worrying about the future because frankly you know the the past is already gone there's nothing we can do about it but also who's to say that it even Mm. existed the way we remember it so it's it's something that's not even that's another podcast (laughs) right it's it's not even relevant to what's happening right now right you can take your learnings and your experiences and build on those which you absolutely should but, you know, whatever happened in the past, I mean, it, it's gone. It's happened. So you need, to, you need to be able to process that. That's, that's one thing. And it's not, again, I, I'm human like everyone else. So I had a really difficult period um, when my parents had passed and, and some of the just processing of emotions and so forth to get from a, a, a not good state to where I am today. Fortunately, going through this and on this journey, you know, with help of friends like Ashish and others, you know, I was introduced to various concepts that got me more grounded and focused on the present. And I started to introduce some very simple steps. So first of all, I parked my phone at the end of the hall in my home office at the end of the day. I don't keep it next to my bed. It's not in my room at all. The only time it's in my room is if I'm traveling because I use it as an alarm clock. But everything else is silenced. So one, there are no distractions or disturbances in the night. If I sleep well, I wake up rested. Okay. Um, there's a there's a process of just like falling into your your circadian rhythm and knowing what your REM cycles are. And my daughter, when mm. she was in high school, uh, told me about this. And I, I guess, you know, it wasn't a, a new fact, but it's just like thinking about it and, and preparing yourself that if you have to get up at six o'clock, well, you better be in bed somewhere around 11, 11, 15, because it's going to take you 30, 45 minutes to right. fall into sleep if you want to get six hours of sleep. And that's kind of the minimum four REM cycles, each cycle being an hour and a half. Now that's, that's, I know I can perform at that level. Ideally, though, I get one more REM cycle, and then I've got a great day. So the day actually starts the day before. Mm. <clears throat> the day of, I wake up, and the first thing, because my phone's not right there, that first day, the first 45 minutes of the day, that's my time. And it starts with gratitude. Everything is really grounded in gratitude. I am grateful that I opened my eyes today. I got one more day on this planet. You know, how many hundreds of thousands of people mm. do not wake up each and every day? I see that there's some mm. sunlight, even on a gray day like today, some sunlight coming in the window. So fantastic. It's going to be a great day. I, if, my, if I'm at home, I see my wife is next to me and she's breathing. Hey, this is even better. And then I get up and I do my morning routine, you know, shower, dress, and I go downstairs and as I'm, I get the coffee going, I sit and meditate for 20 minutes every day. Hmm. 
every day I take a meditative pause out of life. And when I come out of my meditation, I feel so refreshed. My mind is focused. My body is focused and ready to go. And mm. then I get my coffee. Then I get my phone. Then my day starts. We're only 45 minutes into the day at this point. 45 minutes into the day. And then the day is what the day is, right? It could be crazy, chaotic, phone calls, meetings get changed. Hey, can you meet tomorrow instead of today because something happened and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and all of a sudden it's like the day just explodes, but it's manageable because I've set the right tone for myself very simply with a few simple things in the morning. And then to wrap it up, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, I keep a gratitude journal next to my bed. I like to do that in the mm. evening. And I think about just a few things that I have done or that have been, you know, positives in, in the day and even process some of the negatives too. But, you, you know, just having the acknowledgement and acceptance of things that have gone not the way I expected and then trying to learn from that as well as being grateful for the things that we have. And it's, I mean, mm. honestly, it's a lot of times it's about family and friends and having a home and, and you know, right. warmth and food and, you know, the basics. But I write that down in my journal. Mm. I, I think on that for a minute or two, close the book, turn off the light. I'm telling you within 10 minutes, usually I'm asleep. This is incredible. It's so simple. Um, yeah. but it's just so wise. And frankly, I've heard so much about this, like from different successful investors and entrepreneurs and, um, the simplicity can seem sometimes like really, is that it? Um, but I think what it forces one to do is to truly remain present. Like we were saying, because mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs, we can be so oriented towards the future and all the goals and the things that we want to, the ceilings we want to smash, um, the milestones we want to achieve and have a restlessness towards that and be very, um, be very dissatisfied with the status quo. Um, yeah. But really placing these rituals into one's routines forces you to kind of count your blessings and count the things that mm -hmm. are going well and stay grateful. And I'm guessing helps with, negative thoughts about the potential future and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I used to be a worrier. I used to have tremendous anxiety and um, there, there's no way that you can function at maximum performance when you're wrestling with all of that. There, it's such a distraction and then it, and then it starts to take its toll physically. And, and, and that's a downward spiral. I've seen, one of the industries that I work in, uh, there, there's a gentleman who relatively young, just passed away last week, was always on the go, Was would always take care of whatever the issue was. He'd get in the car at four in the morning and drive across the state to take care of you know an issue at another location. And just go, 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 go. And you could almost mm. predict that something was not going to turn out well for him, you know? Um, mm. and, and everyone praises him for, for, you know, how dedicated he was and what a great guy he was. And yes, all of those things are true. But I think that for myself, I was also going down that path where it was go, go, go. I, I mean, I get done now between eight and six 
in the day, more than I was getting done between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. in the past because of being grounded, because of staying in the moment, being focused. Because when I'm sitting there doing something, it has my full attention. Mm. And so it gets much further along than trying to manage 10 different things and worrying about you know, what might happen, right? It allows me to also take a couple of breaks throughout the day. I took lunch yesterday. Right. And when I finished eating, I sat and read a chapter of my book. And I felt no guilt about that. Whereas in the past, it would have been, no, no just scarf down lunch in 10 minutes while you're taking care of email. Right. No, I mean, I can literally tell you, you know, that <laughs> I could, I could almost taste the, you know, the, the, the lentils and the rich sauce that I had for lunch yesterday, because I, I was present when I was eating it. Wow. So the wow. other, th so the, that's, that's, that's keeping in the moment, balancing it with the future on a regular basis. And we're, this is interesting. We're coming to the end of the year. So at the end of the year, I will set my goals for the next year. And also look back at the previous year to see the goals that I set, did I meet them or not? What did I get accomplished? What didn't I get accomplished and why? And it's not to beat myself up. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story because I just, I, I got back to this really hardcore this year where not only do I do it on an annual basis, on a quarterly basis, I look at the big goals. On a monthly basis, the smaller goals. And on a weekly basis, I look at what I wanted to accomplish for the week and what I got done didn't get done. In January, I had a list and I knew it was a long list, but I said, these are all the things that I need to get done this week, first week of January. Of the, let's say there were 10 things on the list, maybe I achieved five. Mm. And I was so disappointed. Then I, I did it again the next week and I only had a couple off the list the second week. And by the third week, I stopped myself because I realized I, I was doing the same thing that my clients do. And I'm trying to you know, coach myself to look at the positive side. Of the 20 things I wanted to get done, I actually got whatever it was, seven or eight of those done. I got seven or eight things done in the first mm -hmm. two weeks of January. A lot of people haven't even really got back into business yet. And I've already achieved eight things off my right. list. And I started to be more realistic on the goals and objectives. And by doing it on a rolling basis, weekly, monthly, quarterly, you get to a point where you say, is this still truly on path with what I want to accomplish? And when we got to the end of third quarter, there were some things that I needed to adjust. Uh, you look at what's happening in the market right now, right? I mean, interest rates have gone sky high. So the real estate investment, we had to look at very, very differently. And I had a conversation with uh, a colleague of mine and he said you know our borrowing costs are up so in order for us to make this work we need to look at more deeply discounted properties which maybe need mm -hmm. a little more time and attention a little more work probably a longer time horizon to get the returns that our investors are looking for and that's okay because that's now what we're doing in the present we're still on path to grow still on path to hit milestones mm -hmm. longer term. And if it all leads to the legacy that might be 20 or 30 years out or more for some people, then you're still going in the right direction. So it's always keeping an eye on the future, but not getting too wound up in it mm -hmm. because you don't really know what's going to happen. But giving yourself that flexibility to plan and adjust 
is key. And then bringing it back to, okay, where are we today? And, and how do we stay in this moment and take in, you know, everything that's happening around us. Right. Right. So, so, so such amazing tips and so ever so timely as we're going into the end of the year and thinking about 2023. I wanted to touch a little bit on, um, you mentioned you're passionate about building communities um, and your work in real estate and just unpack that a bit more. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, So I grew up in, in the Detroit area. And Detroit in 2014 was the, went through the largest municipal bankruptcy in the country. And I had uh, the fortunate opportunity to lend a hand in late 2013 going into 14. Uh, I wrote the strategic plan for the planning and development department and the consolidation of, of organizations, um, really kind of putting together what the future plans would look like, knowing that we were going to have a very different city coming out of bankruptcy from, from, the, from the management of the city. That period also gave me some good insight as to where the city would be placing investment dollars in the future. And we had, you know, arguably seven to 10 different areas across the the city. As I look at that now, we're, you know, eight years later and a lot of activity across the city is happening and it's being placed in to a large extent those zones that were identified some years ago. So projecting forward, rather than trying to build new apartments and condominiums and, and, you know, all the great stuff that's happening in certain areas like downtown, midtown, my focus has been on how do we ensure that we don't drive people out of the neighborhoods and completely, you know, destroy the communities that are still somewhat intact you know people and and it drives me crazy when i hear people say oh it's you know it's devastated it's a war zone well it's really not i mean you you drive through the streets in certain neighborhoods and yes there are properties that are you know not in great shape you see buildings that are burned out you see buildings that are broken down you see open lots and fields but if you peel back and stop looking at the buildings and look at the people you see people riding bicycles and Mm. pushing and mowing the lawns and talking to their neighbors and hey isn't that really the community isn't it more about the people Mm. not really the structures and as investors and developers should we not focus on helping to reestablish good solid infrastructure and buildings to accommodate the community that exists and invite other people into that community and do it in a way, and this is the challenge, and this is why this is such a slow process, and do it in a way that we keep things relatively affordable for people to stay in their neighborhoods. Mm. And it all has to be around oh, community. Okay. So so if, if I had to, well, if, if you know, in a, in a perfect world, in a perfect setting, if we had a neighborhood where we could do this, we would have, let's say, a street that would be a mix of current properties, new builds and in the center it would be a community gathering space and initially i see that as you know that could simply be just some picnic tables and some barbecue stations and a place for people to gather but eventually creating a community center around that and and if we go to then having a building where we can invite people in to 
learn, to grow. It could be, you know, healthcare. Uh, and uh, this is this is another podcast for us. <laughs> uh, one of the companies <laughs> that I advise is in healthcare, which would be, you know, perfect application for this. You know, but to take care of people's needs and bring those services to the community rather than trying to push people to go out to see, you know, their doctor or healthcare provider who who may not be anywhere nearby, by the way. And and if you look at, you know, northern cities like Detroit, this this was this was something that kind of was one of those moments where I went, oh, I see that even though four blocks down we have a pharmacy, if somebody is in a wheelchair locked in their apartment on the second floor without an elevator, it doesn't matter. That pharmacy could be across the street. She's still not going to be able to go get her meds. Somebody has to bring the meds to her. How is that happening? And should that not be more of the focus on the people and the people's needs and establishing the systems and establishing the community so that as an, as an outsider looking at this, I don't have to say, why isn't somebody taking care of her? The community has already, you know, kind of grown the infrastructure to have somebody or some agency taking care of the needs, working with universities, working with other organizations, philanthropic organizations, bring the services to the people, help people, you know, get not only the basic services around food and clothing and healthcare, but job training and education and financial awareness and eventually wealth building. And if you build up, I, I would mm -hmm. love to, you know, bring in spiritual advisors to help us get grounded and start, you know, bringing those day-to-day -day practices to everybody. So that's, hmm. that's, you know, it, again, if I had enough time on this planet, that's what I would be doing. <laughs> Since I don't, I'm going to try to push that's as cool. much as I can forward and, and hope that there's enough momentum behind it to continue when I leave. I, I, I love it. And it really fuses in everything you were talking about earlier when you were talking about identifying what you want to do based on what you love and your skill set, but also thinking about what does the world need? Mm -hmm. And when you think of a project of that nature, I would assume that there's, uh, you're taking into consideration multiple stakeholders and it's not as simple a project as just a straight kind of profit maximization oriented projects. Absolutely. And that, you agree with that? That's the hard thing. Um, and I've had investors say, I mean, honestly, in a very crass way, I don't care about the people. I want to, I want to maximize the dollar. Yeah, well then, you know, you shouldn't be investing with us, but mm. in order, in order for me to mm. get the investments, I have to have a way to get people the return that they expect and, and arguably deserve, right? It's their hard earned money and they're trying to provide right. and have a, you know, have their retirement fund and all that. So I'm not saying that it's a negative, but the blending of it is a challenge. I think that, mm. and we're still in this hypothesis and testing mode, but I think that we can provide an environment, and I'm just talking about from an investment, and if you think about it, you know, from a apartment building standpoint, let's say, where the owners, mm -hmm. property managers, are getting market rate rent, which they should, right? Whatever you can maximize on the open market, you should be able to do. But understanding that there are people who can't afford that 
And perhaps they've been in that neighborhood for a long time and they can't afford that. So how do we bridge that gap? Can we bridge it with right. government funding or philanthropic money? Can we create some environment where, and here's another aspect of it. You know, we, we all have issues that we're wrestling with. I mean, there's not a human on this planet who doesn't have an issue that they need help with, right? So there right. are groups of people. You can start to look at groups of people and specific needs and the agencies that are helping those groups of people. If the agency has a program, let's say, you know, a program to help refugees or to help veterans or whatever the, the, the need is, right? If a person is going through that program with that agency, if we can help that agency get the right funding to make up the gap between what the person can afford and what the actual rent in the open market is, let's fill that. We know that we've got a good mm -hmm. tenant for us, right? That's, that's taking care of the owners and the investors. And we know that it's going to be a good, solid, well-run property for that person mm -hmm. to live in. So we are taking care of both sides of it. But again, this is, this is, this is not something that I've seen done. I would love to connect with other people who have a similar thought, um, because we're not trying to we're not we're not trying to recreate something here. We're not trying to monetize something. We're we're trying to bridge a gap with what currently exists. There are there are ample resources. Right. I firmly believe that we live in an abundant world and everything is there. It's up to us to figure out how to pull it together and make it work. And we can right. only we can only do that completely. together, right? Right. Completely wholeheartedly agree. And I guess um two more things that come to mind is one do you think investors have to sacrifice on the financial returns to take into consideration the social impact i do not i think that we can do this i've looked at hundreds if not thousands of different investment opportunities over the years um, i've advised others on where to place their funds and then over the last few years started to invest my own almost every deal is offering the same return, which is interesting mm -hmm. to me. It, it's it's uh, of of certain uh, of certain asset classes, right? So I'm not comparing something that's a very stable uh, investment with low returns versus a you know a venture a, you know startup company that's highly um, uh, risk uh, uh, oriented. But if you look across any kind of multifamily apartment in any market anywhere it's got a couple of key thresholds for investors and if we can mm. if we can provide that to the investor then the other side of it is how do we make up the difference and I, again i think that the missing component is that gap between what the people can afford and what the market rate is and filling that gap right so no, to answer your question directly, I don't think that we have to, you know, lose anything as investors. Great. Um, and you mentioned like, um, it's all about collaboration and, you know, there's all the resources available in the world because you believe in abundance. And I guess my question to you is, what would your ask be from listeners? How can they um, support your mission? And yeah. Oh, wow. Start talking about it. One start thinking about it as how how do we win in this 
because one of my one of my favorite phrases is we all win when we all win it's not about it's not about me it's not there's no i in all of this you you can't have a good solid stable neighborhood if your neighbors aren't also in a good place it mm. really behooves us all to help each other to get to that point where there's stability around us and there is so much fragility in the world today you see it everywhere right. you know from from road rage to the shootings that are just rampant it's people are so fragile mm. And I think that a lot of that comes back to that we, we've lost the sense of community. Hmm. That's a whole nother conversation. I know. I'm, I'm, you took me down the yeah, path. Um, there's a book, <laughs> yeah, there's a book, The Lost Connections, and how, as a society, we've become so mechanical. And we've really, like, for instance, your average person today apparently doesn't have anyone they your average person that's a millennial or Gen Z has no one they can call in the event of a crisis. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the eighties, that number was your average person had five people they could call and lean on. So we right. are becoming as a society, so isolated and lonely and the implications of that um, on an individual and a collective level, I don't think we've really grappled with what that means for us. I totally agree with you. Totally agree. Mm. Mm. While we're implementing more technology and and the uh, the advances that are being made, I mean, I mean, technology is the obvious one, right? Everyone's well, I shouldn't say everyone, but so many of us now have phones and smartphones, and the information is there. The challenge has got to be how do we utilize these things to help us. And the, mm. the, the negative impact that is surrounding us on a daily basis, we have to build the skills to say no to the negativity, to learn how to turn those things off, how to car- compartmentalize, how to park the phone at the end of the hall at the end of the day. You know, I mean, it's, these, these aren't mm. really, nothing that I said was really difficult, but it took three years for me to get to a point where this became a daily habit, three years. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't consistent. I had some major setbacks. You know, my, my father died in 2019 and it took a six month period to get through that. And I had some really bad habits that had crept back into my life that I had to deal with. And so it's never a straight line forward, but if you keep, working at it, small things daily. You know, I, when I sat down for the first time trying to do a meditation, I couldn't sit still for more than three minutes. I struggle with it. (laughs) That's me. Yeah. But start with three minutes, start with 30 seconds, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, but make it a habit, make it a routine. And next thing you know, that 30 seconds will be a minute, be three minutes, be five, be 15. And then, you know, right now I'm thinking 20 minutes isn't even enough. I want to do a, a weekend retreat. Mm. I was I was so close. I was actually waitlisted for this program, unfortunately, but I was so close to doing a 10-day Vipassana, which is a silent meditative retreat. No phone, wow. no interaction, 10, day. 10 days 
on a campus in the desert, not speaking with anyone, no talking. You're, you're passing people, you know, in the courtyard, but you're not interacting with people. And I've had friends do this and the wisdom and insights that open up when you shut off the noise. And many people will say it takes yeah. three days to shut off the noise. You think how many years this has built up. And if you can shut it off in three days right. and then suddenly have it open up to hmm, all this awareness, I dream of doing that in the next couple of years. Short of that, I'm going to go have a that cup of coffee like in my backyard and look at the leaves on the tree and the birds floating <laughs> around and be content with that for now. I think nature plays a huge role in that, though. Um, like yes. you kind of alluded to, just even like making do with what you've got near you, it does mm -hmm. help you have just more kind of get centered and grounded and have mm -hmm. more clarity. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's 30 seconds you can take anytime. Um, so coaching, right. especially people who are in an entrepreneurial environment where there's so much pressure that we put on ourselves to succeed and do and do and do and go and go. And then, oh, I have to take care of the people in my company, right? With You almost get to the sense of, you know, your, your, your ego gets a little bit too big sometimes, but you start to lose focus on yourself. And my coaching is, it always includes not, so not only do I talk about that 45 minutes at the beginning of the day. And by the way, if you need to get going at six o'clock, well then get up at five o'clock, right? I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I could push my early stuff to a little bit later in the morning and get up at say 6.30 and have an hour before I have to hit the ground running. But even during the day, take a minute, and sometimes I'll even do this if we're doing a Zoom call. I say, let's just pause for a minute. Stop everything right now. Hold that thought. If you're near a window, look outside. Look at the cloud. Look at a tree. Mm. Look at something. Mm. If not, just look across the room at something other than your screen. And I'll put on a timer for one minute. And the mm. clock ticks around and it dings at the end of the minute. And so many people have a hard time with one minute, one. just one minute. But if you can get one minute out of 24 hours to yourself, it's like hitting a reset button. If you can do that more than once in a day, it will have tremendous impact. I've, I've been in situations. So imagine, imagine, Wow. So imagine this. We were, this goes back a few years, uh, a few colleagues of mine and I were at one of the first auto shows in China as the economy was, as the market was opening up. Um, and there were just thousands of people pouring into this convention center. And it went from a group that was hundreds of people wide funneling down to a single file line that wound its way into the building. Mm. And as people were getting funneled down, you would take a step and literally the crowd would push you forward 10 steps. It was wow. really, really bizarre to just be so out of control and trying to make sure that you stay upright because God forbid you fall down and get trampled, right? Let alone the fact that, you know, you have your belongings on you and you're trying to, you know, keep track of your phone and your wallet and things like that. 
So the crowd's pushing us forward. Fortunately, I'm six foot two and I can, I could see over most of the crowd. There was a tree in the distance and I just kept focusing on the tree. And if the tree had not been there, I don't know, I probably would have done what my colleague done had done, which was to find his way to the edge and jump over the fence and just say, I'm done. I'm out of here. I can't do it. The tree helped hmm. nature. Right. I think about that. I didn't realize it at the time, but that little break in that situation and, and being able to, you know, have nature help with that. I'm so grateful for that mm. moment. And, and I bring that back to, you know, every opportunity I'll, I'll look at the trees and the leaves and the grass and the silly squirrels in the yard and just smile and, and think, okay, if I just look at that and focus on that, even for a few seconds, it breaks the craziness mm. of the day to day. That little bit of space. I absolutely love that. Makes a huge difference. Mm. Because I, I can. I really love that because. I, I, I can. Sorry, I can carry on, Michael. Yes, yeah, sorry. I can coach and guide and, and, and teach mm -hmm. on, you know, all of the aspects of the business and, you know, how do you maximize the your, your financials and how do you improve performance right. of people in the systems? And that's only half of it. I mean, it's really half right. of it. And it's, you know, there are umpteen books that have been written on the topic. And if you just read the books and implement what they say, okay, you can get it done. But that's not the reality of life, right? Because even the, you know, you right. walk, through, walk through the streets of Rome and look around the, the uh, Città Antica and you see thousands of years ago, people were doing the same thing that we're doing today. They just didn't have cell phones back then. Thousands of years from mm -hmm. now, people will be doing the same thing with some other technology or whatever the new situation is. That part of it's not going to change. So right. why, why is it so difficult for us? because we get wrapped around all this human side of things that we don't know how to deal with. And yet even that is rooted in ancient practices as well as modern medicine, modern technology, modern science. For thousands and thousands of years ago, you look at any religion, major religion, and it's all rooted in the same thing, right? It's all about, you know, taking care of others, serving others, getting out of yourself, right. serving right. others. Crazy, right? Doesn't have to be hard. We make it hard right. ourselves. Gratitude. We, we make it hard. I really love what you're saying because I must say I've been struggling of late after I've been working from home for about four years now. And I'm just like itchy for more connection with nature and people and just I'm tired of, I'm tired of this. But what you were saying about mm -hmm. how, the techniques and like the routines you you bring into your sessions in coaching i was like ah light bulb i can do the same like, mm -hmm. i can literally just program to look outside or go outside in the garden or work from outside sometimes to just break that mm -hmm. monotony of zoom 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 right <laughs> all zoomed out by the end of the day <laughs> right <laughs> Michael, I have loved this conversation and I can keep going, but time is <laughs> a limited resource we all have. Um, if anyone would like to get hold of you and learn more about you or your work, how best can they reach you? So the best way to reach me uh, is either via email, M-S-C-H-E-R-E-R -E -R at 
atlante-co.com, atlante-co.com, or via LinkedIn. Always happy to meet up with people and uh, and just have a chat on you know commonalities and how we might be able to help each other. So feel free to reach out. Thank you. This has been just phenomenal. Like I feel like I have so many techniques for managing myself and for high performance is essentially is what I would say. A lot of what you spoke about is how can you be a high performing individual? You got it. Right. Absolutely. Yes. We all have so much to give. Right. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for having me on today. Really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Oh my word. I loved that. I so, so, so loved that. And of course, what I loved was the piece on transition and letting go. And I feel like the universe has been like repeatedly teaching me this lesson through like my personal life, through like different podcast guests, books, like things I see on social articles I read. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But just a few thoughts on transitions, excuse me, seasons of transitions and knowing when to let go and how do you let go. I think it's, we talk a lot about discipline, the discipline to do things that you don't want to do because they're good for you. For instance, the discipline to wake up at five in the morning and go for a run, the discipline to eat your five a day, even though they taste yuck, the discipline to meditate, even though you just want to grab your phone. But I find that as a society, we don't talk enough about the discipline to know when to quit something, even though you love to do it, right? So you've been running this business for decades and you absolutely love it, but you know that you're kind of over, like your season is up. It's time for a new crop of leaders to come through. How do you quit that? When do you quit that? Learning when to quit and what to quit, even when you love it, it's not easy. (laughs) It really isn't easy. So I want you to reflect on in your life, because I believe that we are constantly going through some transition of one of, of, of sorts, right? Transition doesn't necessarily have to come with a generational transition in business, right? Because this is obviously what we talk about a lot here. It could be a, light, a personal transition, but I think we are ever evolving and we're constantly on this journey of transition. And I'd love for you to reflect, what are the things that you love to do and seemingly are good for you, but their seasons are up? <laughs> you might know it through like, quantitatively you may know it qualitatively you may know it intuitively what are those things and what steps can you start to take to kind of turn the dial a bit and quit so to speak to help you with that is I was talking to a friend the other day and we're talking about loss aversion and how we as human beings are behaviorally we are Um, risk-averse human beings, right? So we will focus more on what we stand to lose than what we stand to gain. And this ratio, this disproportionate ratio of our focus on loss versus gain is three to one. So it's real. So in a season where you're thinking, the things that I love to do that I need to quit, a hack is focus on not what I stand to lose by stopping this, But focus on what do I stand to gain by stopping this? So it may be time, it may be energy, it may be money, it may be switching into something else. 
that is more aligned for you in the season that's coming up. Focus your time, your energy, your everything on that rather than what you stand to gain. A third factor that may come into play when one is thinking about transitioning and letting go is sunk cost fallacy. I've invested all this time. I've invested all this money. I've invested all this X, fill in the blanks, whatever it is. And you may be thinking, you never know what's around the corner. If I just invest this little bit more, then I will hit jackpot. But it's a fallacy. Um, because frankly, um, you investing more and firstly, you've identified that the season's up. So investing more is not optimal for you, right? Um, investing more actually amplifies the risk. So if we think about it from an ROI perspective, if I've invested a lot of cash into, um, an asset that's not yielding returns, that's not performing, me investing more amplifies my risk and my exposure and my potential liability. So sometimes you have to cut your losses and just move on. And it's really difficult when you're emotionally entangled in something to walk away from it and cut your losses. A lot of it is around the narrative and the story you're telling yourself around the thing that you need to walk away from it's all the inner chatter and managing that thank you so much for listening to my TED talk (laughs) as always take good care and God bless you